of not so much anymore is, uh, in fact, some of you old timers will know this better than me. When you used to go out to eat, you'd dress up. And now when you go out to eat, sometimes you look at people and you go, whoa. Go to Disney World if you really want to see the way people dress in public. But it used to be when you go out to eat at restaurants, there might even be a dress code. And um, there was once a guy decided to impress his, his girl on this first date and take her to a really fancy restaurant. Decided to pull out all the stops and uh, take her to the nicest place in town. So he bought a new suit and he bought a new dress shirt. So he picked her up. She looked beautiful. They entered the restaurant. They stopped at the desk to say table for two. And the manager came over to them and he informed them that the restaurant had a dress code and that all men who ate in this restaurant had to be wearing a tie, which there's still some of those out there somewhere. Well, the young man was chagrin. I like that word. Because he was all dressed up, but now he had no place to go because he wasn't wearing a tie. And then it came to him and he said to the manager, what if I came in wearing like a string tie, like a western string tie? Would that be acceptable as a tie? And the manager said yes, that it would. So the young man excused himself from his date, left her sitting there in the waiting area. He ran out to his car and he got a set of battery jumper cables. And he tied them around his neck, looking as nicely as he could with these two battery jumper cables there with the positive and the negative, which I know nothing about. And he went in to the manager and he said, I'm wearing a string tie. Well, the manager was trying to hold back his laughter and he realized that the young man had actually pulled one over on him and he wanted to be a little bit lighthearted in return. So the manager said, well, very good, sir, but please, when you are here dining, Please don't try and start anything. You see, that was a long way to go to get to that stupid joke. Dress code. Continuing in the series that I'm calling High Fashion of the High Priests, talking about pieces of clothing that the high priest wore when he went into the temple. Now first we talked about the priest himself had to be anointed. He himself as a person had to be anointed with oil before God. Then we talked about his, his hat, or his mitre, had on the front a gold plate which said holy to the Lord or holiness to the Lord. And then the priest went in barefoot, which is an unusual thing when you think that he's supposed to be dressed up. He had to come with nothing separating him between God, just his bare feet. And then last week I talked about that he wore not only the white robe of the other priests, but the high priest put on a blue robe to represent the robe of righteousness that the high priest Jesus wears and to be covered by the robe of the high priest, the robe of righteousness. Now all the garments that were worn by the priest were, were symbolic. And they were a visual representation of being consecrated or being set apart for God's work of the priest 
atoning for the sins of the people before God. And so compliance with this dress code could not be achieved by going out and finding something that happened to work. Very strict on what they had to wear. In fact, in Exodus 28, later in the chapter that Melanie read, it says, Aaron and his sons must wear the garments whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. So if they did not come before the Lord into the tabernacle wearing this outfit, this fashion statement, this dress code, exactly like God said, they would be cut off. So today we're talking about the ephod, E-P-H-O-D, that's an unusual word. The ephod was an outer garment that was now put on over the robe. I'm actually going to show you some pictures, not now, but I'm going to show you some pictures today for the first time in glorious color, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's true. So he wore the white robe, and then he wore the blue robe, and then he put on this apron kind of thing. And strangely enough, it reminds me of being on the safety patrol at school when I was in elementary school. We used to have to wear this safety thing to let you know Or the guys that are out mowing the lawn out in the streets, these guys that wear like this fluorescent thing over their clothes, that's kind of what the ephod was like. It was something you put on, and it went kind of from your waist down to the waist in the back. You put it on over your head so you could still see the robe. It was was an outer garment worn other... Help me, tongue. Worn over the robe. Now I'm going to tell you this as a side point. This is a grammatical lesson here, a little sidebar, a little parenthetical thing. There are two uses of the word ephod in the Bible. And I tell you this so that later when you read another group of these passages, you might say, what in the world? There's one group of passages where the ephod was a garment, like what I'm talking about today. And there's another group of passages where the word ephod is used, and it means an idol, I-D-O-L, idol. So as a garment, like here in Exodus, the ephod was part of the priest's dress code, his high fashion, his priestly ordinances, his official dress. It was made of threads, and then it said of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. That would be white. We'll talk about that. And embroidered in gold thread, skillfully worked. So the people that sewed this were supposed to put this together beautifully, the best seamstress did this. In later years of the Levitical priesthood, ephods were associated and worn by by other priests, not just the high priest, whenever they ministered before the altar. But those ephods were less elaborate and just made of linen. In fact, if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says that the boy Samuel was dedicated to work in the Shiloh temple and that he wore a linen ephod. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 18. David, if you remember when David was bringing the ark into Shiloh, and it says that David danced before the Lord. That's a good song. You've ever, you should learn that song. Uh, what is the name of that song? I Will Be More Something Than This. Great song. David Crowder Band. When David was carrying, when the people were carrying the ark, and it says that David danced before the Lord, and it says that his wife Michael saw him and despised him, it wasn't so much that he was dancing as that he had taken off his clothes and he was in a linen ephod. He was in the common thing of a priest rather than the kingly garb. 
It wasn't the dancing, it was the dress. She goes, oh, you make a spectacle of yourself. And it says he was wearing a linen ephod. That's one use of the word. It's a piece of garment. But the other group of passages, ephod has entirely different meaning. And it's all in the books like Samuel and Judges. The word here cannot refer to a garment. This is just history, my friends. So you go home smart. In Judges chapter 8, for example, it says that when Gideon took the golden earrings of the Midianites weighing 1,700 shekels and he melted them and he made an ephod of it and put it in his city where it was worshipped. So it says that Gideon took all this gold and melted it down and and formed it into an ephod. That's another use of the word. And they worshipped it. It talks about in Samuel they did this as well. So here the ephod must refer to like a portable movable idol. Now, some scholars suggest that the reason that word came to mean an idol is that perhaps it was originally wrapped up in linen, like the linen ephod that the priest wore. And so that it was an idol wrapped up in linen, which was called an ephod, and eventually the idol itself became called an ephod. Now, I tell you this, Just so when you're reading your Bible later and you stumble upon that word, you don't think it's necessarily a garment that the priest was wearing. That's history. You owe me money for that because that wasn't included in your admission today. But because I love you, I toss in little bits of history. Speaking of learning and teaching rather than preaching, could I have my first slide? Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. So you see the blue robe, and I know know it's hard to see, but... The blue robe is the blue robe of the priest, and then this multicolored thing, you see it's kind of gold, and it's got blue, and it's got red. That's the ephod. You put it over the shoulders, and on top is the two stones that I had Melanie read about. But here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to check out. Nobody knows exactly what it looked like. So oh, I got four pictures, and I want you to see how they each do it different. But notice here, he's got on the miter, he's got the gold across his forehead, he's got bare feet, He's got the breastplate here. We're going to talk about that uh, soon. He's got a sash around his waist. We're going to talk about that. So can I have the next one? So see this guy, whoever drew this one, he's got the classic, you know, stand there like that thing. Look how they made the ephod. Totally different. In their imagination, this is how it looked. How about the next one? Look at this one. This one's got it woven totally different. Now see there he's got the censer with the incense. We're going to talk about that. But you can see that everybody's kind of got the miter thing down, down pat, but this ephod thing, kind of, the artists, uh, they're not quite sure what to make of it. And then the last one. This guy's got it as X's and O's, like tic-tac-toe. And I don't think they're trying to be funny, I just, but they've got it as X's and O's. But you notice this one, you can see the two stones on the shoulders. That's what we're going to focus on a little bit today. And then on the front here is the breastplate, with the 12 tribes, and then two of those are the Urim and the Thummim. They're on there as well. So anyway, that's the priest. You can see the holiness to the Lord thing, and the ephod is this thing that he puts over him. It's a, it's a beautiful outfit. Thank you. And there you can see that this person has made it basically gold. It, it's, all, it's an artist's interpretation, but wouldn't it, see, wouldn't it be beautiful to see the real high priest's outfit, to see Aaron, the first high priest, walk into the tabernacle wearing the authentic 
garb of the high priest. That would have been a beautiful thing. Now, the ephod was perhaps the most important item of the priestly clothing. It was like an apron made of material woven out of gold and linen thread and various colored yarns that covered the back and the front, reaching nearly to the knees. It was fastened to the body by two shoulder straps and a belt, and upon the shoulder straps were two onyx stones with the names of the twelve sons of Israel, Jacob, on these stones in chronological order. So on this one he had the first six sons, and on this one he had the last six sons, and it says they should be put on there very beautifully. They were called the stones <coughs> of remembrance, excuse me. And these names on his shoulders were not there to remind Aaron of all the tribes that he was there to serve, but the names were there on the stones to remind God of all the tribes that he had made a covenant with. Often you'll see in the Bible people saying to God, remember the covenant you made, God. Be true to yourself. Be faithful to yourself, God, because we have failed you as people, but you are the covenant keeper. You are the covenant maker, so these stones, these names remind you of who you are. You have made a covenant with all of these 12 sons, all the tribes of Israel. We have been unfaithful to you, God, but you are faithful to your own covenant to yourself. So may these names remind you of who you are as a covenant-keeping God. May you always be gracious to Israel, is what these stones seem to be saying. And that should remind you that you have two stones yet with many names on them, this unity that Jesus came to bear as the great high priest. Jesus became the one who acted for the many, for the many tribes, for the many people, not by putting stones on his shoulder. It says that Aaron should bear these burdens before God. Jesus didn't come with names on his shoulder. Jesus came with sins on his shoulders by taking on human flesh and carrying these burdens and sins that were not his. So as the high priest approached God, these are to remind him that he came, the high priest came before God with the names of all of his people on his shoulders. And that's the way it was with Jesus, that he went to the cross and he goes with God with all of our names and all of our sins and all of the love of all people on the back of Christ to God on behalf of you and I. God loves you. And the names, of the, the names on the stones of the shoulders of Aaron represent the burden that God feels for you. It says that he shall bear all of these things. And now Jesus, as the real high priest, stands in the presence of God interceding for you and I as one man for all men. And looking at the colors of the ephod, they're very interesting colors used throughout the entire sanctuary. God wasn't just doing this willy-nilly. He knew what he was doing. So here's perhaps what these colors represent. It says that there was gold in there. Gold represents the highest of the high. Gold is the representation of divinity. Remember that the statue in Daniel chapter 2 was a head of gold. Gold was the mineral, the, the element above all things. 
In Psalm 119, verse 27, that's the one I want you to memorize, Julian. Psalm 119. It says, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, more than fine gold. Gold was the most amazing, valuable thing on this earth. And David is saying in that psalm, I love your commandments more than gold. Remember when Peter and John went to pray and they met a lame man, they met a lame man on the way? You know that one for Acts chapter 3? He held out his palm and did ask for alms, and this is what Peter did say. Anybody know this one? Can I get an amen? He said, silver and gold have I none, because Peter knew these are the most valuable things on earth. There's gold, but I have no gold to give you, lame man, but I have something greater than that. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So gold represents all the best that the world has to offer. Gold represents what's higher than gold. Gold represents divinity. So when there's gold in this man, in this priest's ephod, it represents the highest of the high. And that's why in the streets in heaven, gold is now on the surface that we walk on because gold is worth nothing in earth, the earth made new. Because all things of this world are now subservient to Jesus being Lord again. That's why the streets are gold. Not to show you that it's so valuable, but to show you it's so worthless in heaven. There's also blue in the ephod. Under the ephod, the priests wore this long robe of blue, but it was also used in the weaving of the ephod itself. And the, the Jewish people wore blue a lot under their ceremonial garments because God commanded Israel in Numbers chapter 15 to make fringes in the border of their garments throughout their generations, and they should put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. So Jews were commanded to put blue around the bottom of their garments to represent the law of God. And then it says that in Numbers 15, put, put the ribbon of blue around the bottom that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. So blue is to remind you of the commandments of God, the law of God, the purity of God. Then it also says that there's red in there. As blue represents the law and God's heaven, red represents man. Red represents the color of the flesh and the color of the blood that flows through us. So it doesn't matter, <coughs> excuse me, got a tickle. It doesn't matter if your skin is black, brown, white, yellow, red, any shade in between that, your blood flows red. And that is what Jesus died for, and that is what the red in the ephod represents, the blood of human beings. It's a reminder of the imperfections of the human condition. Jesus shed his blood, and it's in the garment of the high priest. So, I've got to have you turn in your Bible at least once in every sermon. That's my, my promise to you. So if you could turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And I need to ask to make sure if it's okay. Is it alright to read my Bible in church? You know, there's a lot of nice things said from a lot of nice pulpits, but I don't particularly care to sit through a sermon and not have the preacher say to me, would you please open the Word of God? Somebody better say, amen, is this on? Hello, hello, hello. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, come on preacher, he himself, that's Jesus, he himself likewise 
partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, there's a good verb, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, come on, that's a conclusion word, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. There's a great word. That means to make atonement, to make an offering, to make things right. For the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You talk about claiming the promises that you sang about there, young lady. You talk about reading the Bible and saying, what if we really believe this? This says that Jesus lived as flesh and blood so that he could take your burdens before God because he knows your burdens because he lived as a man. He was tempted in every way like you are, yet without sin. So that tells me that being tempted is not a sin. So when you feel like you're tempted, well, I'm tempted, I might as well give in, I might as well do it. No, that's when you call on God. In fact, you should call on God before you're tempted so that you don't enter into temptation. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. As I've told you, the burden, the uh, the battle over appetite, food is not won and when you're standing at the pantry door with the chips and, the, and, you know, and all the things there. The battle over your appetite is won when you're at Publix. Oh Lord, help me. Help me as I go down these aisles. Pray before you go food shopping. I'm looking in the mirror when I say that. I got some Moose Tracks ice cream in the freezer right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a little revival with some Moose Tracks. You see, Christ has been subject to the temptations of the flesh. The Bible tells us that. And only by living as a man on this earth and overcoming through God's strength did he remain sinless. He did not come down with some strange powers that you and I do not have. He was not Shabam, or who was that guy in the movie that just came out the other day? Shabazz? Shazman? Help me. He's not Aquaman, he's not Spider-Man, he's not Superman, he's not Batman, he's not Wonder Woman, he's not, help me, Black Panther, he's not, help me, Iron Man, he's not Clark Kent, he's not Captain Marvel, he's Jesus. So he came down as a man, and he called on the power of God like you and I can call on the power of God. And he overcame through the power of God. So now you and I can say, because he overcame, I can do all things through Christ in me. The life that he laid down in humanity, he takes up again and he gives it back, back to humanity. Christ died the death that you and I deserve so that you and I live the life that he deserves. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and that life more abundantly. It's a gift. That's grace. He gives you, through the red represented on the ephod, 
he identifies with broken, sinful humanity. That's what the priest was wearing. Blue for heaven. Gold for divinity. Red for the blood of people. Purple. Purple is the color of kings. And I mentioned this last week. Wasn't it so sadly ironic that when Pilate took Jesus before him, he drew, he helped me, tongue, he draped him in a robe of purple. They mocked him as a king. Put him in purple. Put a reed in his hand. Let's put a crown of thorns on his head. You think you're a king? Wear some purple. Dress like royalty. We'll prove to you that you're nothing. We'll kill you. How ironic that what Pilate did was actually true. He put the king of kings in a robe of purple. So when the high priest is wearing purple, he is wearing the color of royalty. And did you know, if you think about it, if I have any art teachers here, that purple is a combination of blue, which represents heaven here, and red, which represents people here. Purple is red and blue mixed together. It was only by showing a God-like character in the weak body of a man that Jesus triumphed over sin and opened a way for you and I to do the same. Jesus lived the life that we need to live, and so in that way, He is our example. And then He died the death that we deserve and gave us the life that He gives us as a gift, and in that way, He's our Savior. Jesus is our example, and He's our Savior. So this red, this purple, this blue, this gold was all woven together into a white linen. And then the white linen is the foundation fabric of the ephod, and its significance is explained in Revelation 19 where it says, and to her, the bride, the, the church, was granted that she may be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So in the end... It will be the only color in the garments of eternity. And help me, tongue. Be the only garments of eternity will be white and purity, both moral purity and physical purity. Isaiah one eighteen says, "Come now and let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins be as help me, scarlet, they shall be as help me, white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So the biblical image is to take something red, sinful, sin, and make it white, purity, like the Savior. It's interesting that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, John, and James were there, it says they looked at him and his clothes were, were whiter than anyone could even bleach. It was whiter than anything anybody had ever seen. So the ephod, with its different colors and materials, typifies or is an example of Christ and his high priestly ministry. Christ, the high priest, bears his people upon his shoulders. Christ is the place of strength and the seat of power. The shoulders speak of carrying a burden and the whole Burden was carried by Christ alone. So on the shoulders of the high priest were these two onyx stones with the names of the twelve sons of Israel engraved on them. And the fact that the high priest wore them shows this connection between the priest and God. 
the priest goes before God representing the people, and the priest goes before the people representing God. The high priest is the go-between, the mediator between the people and God. And that's what Jesus is to us. He's the great high priest. And so the ephod is symbolic of him. him. The white linen speaks of his righteousness. The scarlet symbolizes his atoning work. The purple, his royalty. The gold, his divinity. Blue, the color of his purity and his law in heaven. And so when the priest put on the ephod, they were putting on Christ. They were representing Christ before the people. They did not know it, but they were. And Jesus, as our true high priest, tells us to come boldly into the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 So when you and I put on a symbolic ephod with the burdens that we have on our shoulders and with the people that we love on our shoulders, we come before God with our burdens. We bring them before the high priest and we say, these are the things that I'm concerned about. These are the people that I love. It's my children. It's my parents. It's my coworker. It's my finances. It's my health. It's my people around me. It's my neighbors. It's my divorce I'm going through. It's my cancer that I have. Whatever I have, it's the burdens on my shoulders that I bring to you, Lord. You have told me to come boldly with the burdens that I have on me before me. I bring them to you. So when you come before God with your burdens, that is very biblical. That is encouraged. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And when you come boldly, you will obtain mercy and you will find this grace in time of need. Remember when Queen Esther wanted to go before the king and tell him to please help her people, the Jews. He didn't even know she was Jewish. But when she wanted to go before the king, To plead the case of her people, she put on her royal robes and she went into the inner courts where the the king was. It says that in Esther chapter 5. She knew enough to go before the king and the best she had. She knew that there was a dress code before the king. She brought in her best and she said, these are my burdens. These are my people. These are the things I care about. These are the things that I bring before you, my king. So when times get tough and they get difficult, You need to put on your symbolic ephod and you need to bring your burdens before God. You need to enter before God and you need to claim these biblical promises for strength, for answers, for healing, for health, for reconciliation. We need to pray for each other to have burdens for the people around us and not turn the other way because we don't like what we see. You see, the high fashion of the high priest was a very unusual dress code and it was strictly enforced. And Jesus, our high priest, calls us to be priests in service to him. Peter says that he has made us a royal priesthood, which means you have no excuse. You do not have permission to turn away from the cares of the world around you. If you claim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have now entered into service to Him to minister to people that you know in your circle, your world, your life in the name of Christ. You are the hands and the feet of Christ to the people around you. No one can master and serve them like you with the unique gifts that you have. 
So the dress code, the attire, the attire that the man wear, the high priest wore was crucial. And it's crucial for you and I to have this because we are ambassadors for God, 2 Corinthians 5 says. We are ambassadors for God as if he were making his appeal through us because he is. We are the ones who go out as stewards of his grace. The attire is crucial because it's symbolic of the great purpose of God to redeem his people and to reunite heaven and earth. The attire is crucial because we need to carry the burdens and serve other people. Galatians 6 says, let us not grow weary of serving and let us carry one another's burdens. And then Peter says, but let us cast our burdens upon the Lord. So you bring those burdens before God. The attire is crucial because it typifies the glorious robes that we will be wearing in heaven. White linen, pure before God. The attire is crucial because it has directly related to the other colors. All of these colors were used throughout the entire tabernacle. The materials were used in the tabernacle as well. This garb was, was all part of the tabernacle service. It's listed as items used in the tabernacle. The gold, the purple, the scarlet, the white, the blue. And mainly the attire is crucial because it represents the high priest which you and I have, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you think, you know, you have burdens and no one cares, I want you to remember that the high priest in the Bible carried the burdens of his people that he loved and he brought them to God. And you are invited to take your burdens before God because he cares for you. To claim those promises, to, to not feel like you're not worthy, to not feel like he, he means that for everybody but you. He means it for you. You step out in faith. You claim the audacious to do the unthinkable because God has told you that it could happen. Why set your goals down here when you can set your goals up there? You know, many people think that uh, the classic line, young people leave the church because we ask too much of them. If anything, young people leave the church because we ask too little of them. We just come in and sit down. It's all cool. Now we need to tell him Christ calls you to something and he bids you to follow. So he's saying, take up your cross and follow him. It's not, any, it's not a country club with a cross on top. This is being the body of Christ. Can somebody say amen? That's all I got. God has always had one plan of salvation, and that is his love revealing itself to you and having a people that follow him. God has always had and will have a remnant. And the high priest was showing how much God loves you by what he wore. And the call is still the same. Follow me. Follow him. So don't think that these promises of God are not for you because they are. And if you turn away and you think, well, he couldn't really mean me because he doesn't know... He does know and he does mean you and they are for you. The red represents all of your sins. But the blue represents all of his holiness and the purple represents his kingliness and his royalty to make that decision. And the white represents his purity. So may you go out in grace. May you claim all the promises of God and may they be for you this week. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the colors that show your love. Thank you for the strange high fashion of the high priest and all that it can represent. And I pray that we would want to be like Jesus in our heart, not just in our heart, but in our lives. Bless each one. 
and their cares, their burdens that they have on their shoulders. May they bring them to the great high priest. Come boldly in Christ's name. Amen.